Exceeding Expectations, episode 34. Welcome to the podcast where we try to help you give your customers a better experience, which will hopefully then then lead to uh, you getting better testimonials, getting more referrals, which then means you spend less money on marketing, advertising, and enjoy your work more as well. A lot of the guests that we have on this show have the mindset where they really try to go out of their way to think of ways that they can give their customers a a better experience to to try to exceed their expectations in some way. This week's guest is Scott Stanfield, who's been in the hospitality industry for about 25 years in in many different ways as a a chef, as as a manager, and even starting from a dishwasher when he was a when he was a kid. Exceeding Expectations, we have a Facebook group. Please do uh, look out, look on Facebook for Exceeding Expectations. Join the group, get involved in some conversations, maybe start some conversations yourself, ask some questions, comment about something that you've heard. It would be great also if you would leave a review on one of the many podcast platforms. Obviously, the biggest one is iTunes and the, the places such as Stitcher and Google Play and, and whatever. And, and if you do have any suggestions for any guests that you would like to hear interviewed on the show, please do get in contact. You can do that via the Facebook group. You can go on to exceedingexpectations.me or just send me an email at tony at exceedingexpectations.me and let me know about any guests that you would like to hear or suggestions you have. Hope you enjoy this week's show. Today I'm speaking with Scott Stanfield, who's been working in hospitality for a very long time. So how are you, Scott? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Tony? I'm very good, thank you. So tell me a bit about your, I think it goes back quite a long time, your hospitality experience. 25 years ago, I started as a dishwasher at a restaurant on Lake Murray and uh, just outside of Columbia, South Carolina. Wow. And, and, And how did it progress from there? 90 days later, they offered me a job as a manager. So I was either in the right place at the right time <laughs> or the wrong place at the right time. I don't know which one it was, but, uh, or, yeah. or you were a hell of a dishwasher. Yeah, one heck of a dishwasher. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was, I'd already progressed to the kitchen where I was like, you know, prep cook and <clears throat> a line cook where I was, uh, you know, cooking fried shrimp and fried oysters, fried scallops, fried flounder, French fries, obviously, you know, that type of stuff, chicken fingers for the kids mm. and, um, expediting. <clears throat> and, um, but yeah, I ended up becoming uh, a managing partner at that same restaurant that I started as a dishwasher. It was about five years later. Um, and, wow. and so that really set my path on, on, on that. And, um, um, I, you know, I also have worked on Hilton Head Island. I've was a direct director of food and beverage at a, an oil refinery in the Virgin Islands, uh, St. Croix, Virgin Islands, uh, for two years. Um, I've been, a you know, director of restaurants for a Hilton property in Salt Lake City, Utah. I've been a director of food and beverage at a hospital in Salt Lake City and also a director of food and beverage for a Marriott autograph collection, a four-star property in Park City, Utah as well. And so where, where is it you are now then? I mean, you've moved around a lot, clearly, but where are you now? I'm in uh, the mountains of Colorado at a very historic hotel that was built in 1909. Is it a restaurant that you yes, have? Yes, I um, it's a, a right now I'm the general manager of a restaurant for sure. And, and what's the name of the restaurant? Oh, it's Cascades and Whiskey Bar. It's okay. at the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado. 
do you have any sort of speciality? What, what is it that you do that makes you different? Uh, well, there's over a thousand. The last count was 1,149 whiskeys from around the world. Uh, so we, we specialize in whiskeys for sure. Um, we also are, are chef-driven restaurant. Chef Rich is a James Beard award-winning chef. And so we've got great food that matches what we have um, on the back bar in terms of all our spirits and also uh, with our, our wine list as well. When you arrived there, did you make a lot of changes or what, 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 was the, what happened after you, you arrived there? Changes, change is an interesting thing. It's easy if you're making the decision to, for change. Um, mm. So you have to observe for a bit if there, unless there's something that's just like majorly wrong, going wrong. Um, mm. About six weeks after uh, Chef Rich and I had – Chef Rich had worked here before. I mean, mm-hmm. so this was a, a comeback song for him where for me it was just my, my first day. And so we were there about six weeks before the menu changed. Um, mm. and, and at the same time as a rollout, we did start training um, extensively on front of the house service standards, um, on the menu, and basic alcohol training. Because there were people who were not even trained on whether we have scotches on the menu and they were serving tables. And we had over, I don't know, let's say half of that would be almost 600 scotches that we have mm. on the on behind the bar and a server didn't even know if we served scotch or not. So we had to, wow. we had the biggest, the biggest piece was creating um, a chef driven menu and uh, a culture, starting a culture of training. And so how would you go about something like that? What, what would you do say that would be different from how other restaurants would go about that? Well, most training programs are, well, you know, here's, here's your number to, to log into the computer, go follow Sally. She's the best server we got. Um, go shadow her and we'll see how you're doing in a couple of days and we'll start giving you some tables and go from there. That's what mostly mm. happens. Um, what I understand is that people learn in different ways. Some people learn by listening. Some people learn by reading. Some people learn by doing. Um, so my first rule when it comes to day one is that it's, it's an orientation day. We're going to give you some stuff to read. Um, but we also um, are not going to allow you to talk to guests because you don't have any answers to the questions. Um, that mm. they have. So what we do is we give the information and we require people to actually um, sit down with us in the office and, and go over it. So they have to say it, they have to do it um, as well. So we want to make sure that, you know, in the heat of the moment, table side or behind the bar, when a guest asks them a question that they, they, they have a, they have the answer um, or they, they have the verbiage to be able to say, you know, I don't know the answer to that question. Let me go find out and I'll come right back. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because you may not, we we don't know every nobody knows every single whiskey on the on the bar, but we can find out the answer for that. Hmm. And I mean, when we were talking before the recording started, you, and we we kind of touched upon the whole training issues, and you, you were talking about some uh, Disney. What was it you you were talking about Disney and how that relates to training? Uh, well, you know, what 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 I do is I, I find sources or examples in other industries. So I can train my staff about, you know, how we can do something on a, on a larger scale or do something on a, on a better place. So what happened was uh, at my last position, we had a, you know, very reputable um, steak franchise, Roos Chris Steakhouse. There's a 150 locations uh, worldwide and um, mm-hmm. they have a, a tiered pricing structure. And we had been and it goes from one to seven, seven being the highest. 
And what happened was, is that we were um, restructuring our pricing and matching tiers. And our first step was figuring out where we were and our, our pricing was between a two and three. And then, so we went to a, a, a tier four pricing. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we were making the transition into a tier seven pricing, which is the highest that they had at the time, um, it, we were getting pushback from some of our guests. We were even getting pushback from some of our employees about thinking about how the prices were too high. And so mm-hmm. I use this example from Disney because I, I, I asked them, I said, does anybody know how, what Disney did with their prices during the recession, you know, 2007, 2008, you know, for their theme parks? And everybody's mm-hmm. assumption is that the price went down. But what actually happened mm-hmm. is, is that they raised their prices five times. And, and then right. I asked them, I said, how do you think Disney can raise our prices five times in the worst mm-hmm. economic times of our life? And nobody really knew the answer, but the answer was trust. What happened was, is that the mm-hmm. brand had established such a level of trust with the customers and the people who wanted to come that people were willing to pay the price, even though the prices were going up, so they could experience what that brand was about. And, and mm-hmm. so by, by using that example, we were able to um, overcome the objections um, or the value score that you would get on, uh, say, TripAdvisor or open table reservation system, They you know, because they break up the scores for your reviews into different things, food, service, value, ambiance, those type of things. And, you know, when you're charging, you know, you know, $94 for a porterhouse steak or $119 at that location for, um, for a tomahawk steak or $115 for a seafood tower as an appetizer, you know, mm-hmm. you're going to get some pushback, you know, when people save up money to come once a year to celebrate their anniversary or their birthday, that the prices have gone up since last year that they were there. Maybe we've had two price when we did. Sometimes we, we, we had a price increase more than once. Um, as seasons changed. So um, by establishing that and then saying, okay, then training your team how to establish trust was um, was really a big, mm-hmm. a big thing for us. So how do you establish trust? Well, consistency. They trust that they know they're going to get the same mm-hmm. service and the service is going to be, you know, the greet time is going to be, you know, you know, 30 seconds or, or a minute before, from when they're sat down and meeting or exceeding all their expectations and anticipating what the guest needs um, and getting uh, an entire team of people to focus on that gets can move the needle to a level where your, your ranking on TripAdvisor may go to from like we, for instance, we were 18th when I started working there. And two years later, we were ranked number one out of 200 restaurants. And, and, and so, um, and so that's important because as you're, as people look at reviews online, they consider it the same as if they're getting a recommendation from a close friend. And so if your restaurant's mm-hmm. in the top two or three for your city and there's you know, a large amount of restaurants in that town, then they know and trust that when they walk in the door, they're going to be treated with respect, with dignity, and they're going to get what they pay for, or maybe even more than what they pay for. And so then prices can be raised mm. and scarcity can be created at that point as well. And when you say you were ranked number one out of 200, do you mean out of 200 steak restaurants or restaurant just restaurants in general? In general? There was probably about 
seven or eight steakhouses, but that was of all the restaurants in Park City, Utah. So therefore, you would, I imagine you would get a situation where people would look upon you as being you know, the top restaurant in town or in the city. And so they would therefore, that would be the restaurant I want to go to for Absolutely. a special occasion. Absolutely. And that's the, that's the whole point. So is that you want people there who are celebrating life, celebrating, you know, um, a grad, you know, when graduation happens at the local high school or, um, or if there's a university in your town or their anniversary where they've coming and you want to build it where you have, you know, multiple years, you know, in a row, consecutive years in a row, people are celebrating their anniversary and that just builds and builds and builds upon itself. And, and so, that that's a that's a great way of building a, a a small part of your business, but also that is consistent and grows over time. And what kind of numbers are you able to accommodate? We sat two hundred twenty five people at one time. How far ahead are mm-hmm. people having to make sort of reservations to to get a place? It depends on the day. We from the de- from the back deck at at Bruce Chris at Hotel Park City. Um, you could see the fireworks that that uh, on Fourth of July, and people would actually make their reservation for the next year on that day. So a year in advance on some days, um, and sometimes you know, you know, three, four, six months, but you know, in advance. But in restaurants right now, the trend we're seeing is about forty-six percent of reservations are made the day of the dining event, um, unless it's a special event such as you know Valentine's, Easter, um, Mother's Day. Um, Thanksgiving, things like that. People are getting in, um, you know, because that's where the scarcity comes in. Because as you get more popular, as you consider the best restaurant in your in your town, um, people have to call earlier and earlier and earlier to make reservations. And some people who are used to the environment being where I could just walk in, and now they can't, and not even any seating in the bar is available as overflow because you're so busy. You actually sometimes. Um, frustrate some of the guests who've been coming there and supporting you when you were a little bit slower and the and the business wasn't as popular. Before we started recording, you mentioned about um, there was a, a couple, I think you said it was last week, who were amazed by some of the personal service that you gave them. Yes. Um, the, the chefs that I work with now, Chef Rich and Ryan, had um, gotten in and, uh, and ran a special for a tomahawk steak, which is a you know, two-pound or 32-ounce steak. And you know, the the culture here at a restaurant that hasn't really served that high end stuff um, or the high end food on that level that was selling for ninety nine dollars. Um, you know, there was nobody really trained on how to how, how do you serve a two pound steak to two people, three people, four people to one person. Um, and because of my experience at, at Roos Chris, we were trained as managers to just to, to serve this table side on a tray with a tray jack and you know, have a bony knife and explain to people, you know, uh, well, actually the first thing is you try to get this, the whole steak in front of somebody to, so they can take a picture. So it could be posted on social media. So they will obviously tag you when they like, Hey, I was here at Cascades and whiskey bar and we, and I had this tomahawk. So that's the first thing is you're trying to do is you're working on this marketing edge to build organically through social media. Um, but the second thing is, is you're actually explaining is like, there's two parts of a ribeye. There's a decal, which some people call the rib cap. And then there's the eye. And I said, well, I'll, I'll basically what I'll do is I'll split these two pieces apart um, and then I'll cut them both in half. And then I will, and using French service where you use a fork and a spoon in one hand, you know, put them on the separate plates 
to where they need to go and realign them the right way to where your, the eye of the ribeye is in front of the person the and the, the decal is in the back. And then you're serving the lady first and then serving the gentleman and doing that. And, um, and so there was this one couple that were older and I, I asked them, I said, do you want to, do you want to take a picture of, you know, with a steak in front of anyone? And, and they were of the age, I would imagine they were late sixties, early seventies. They didn't even have their phone with them. They had no way of taking a picture at all. And so, um, I had my phone in my back pocket. So I set the steak in front of a lady and I said, I'm going to, do you mind if I take your picture? And I took a picture with her with the steak and I said, I'll email this to you. And, um, so then I pulled the steak back. I carved the bone off. I, then I split it between the two of them, separated, served them. And, and, and because now the general manager is out on the floor interacting with them on that level, I can now come back and, and have a little bit deeper conversation with them, you know, and ask them how their steak was cooked and, and, and those things and, and really connect with them. And, um, and then once I did that, I got their email address. I, I emailed them the picture and the gentleman emailed me back and he said, um, it was absolutely, and I'm getting chills right now <laughs> think, thinking about this. Um, but he goes, uh, the experience was absolutely amazing. Um, thank you for bringing back the legacy of service to the Stanley hotel. And, um, and it was, um, absolutely, um, that was, that was, a um, a heartwarming email and to, to, you know, and when you think about the legacy of the Stanley that was built in 1909 by, you know, F.O. Stanley, who um, he and his, his twin brother created the Stanley Steamer car. Um, you know, you think about an entrepreneur and, you know, somebody who's innovative as he was. Um, you can only imagine how the service would have been at a hotel he built um, 110 years ago. And um, that that's um, carrying on that legacy is uh, is important to me. And, and as you were saying that, it made me think about, because you mentioned about the whole kind of social media side of it as well. So how how has social media changed restaurants and, and what you do? It's changed it dramatically. I, I think it's raised the pressure on what we can do, um, what mistakes we can make, because everybody that comes in there for all practical purposes can be a food critic or service critic. or um, And so the, the, the old adage of, you know, somebody who has a bad experience, tells 10 people who tells 10 people who tells 10 people now a hundred people know, mm. um, still rings true. Um, mm. and, but I think there's another thing too, is that we can get, you know, more direct feedback from people who are maybe um, afraid or, uh, or apprehensive to tell us table side what's going wrong. And so mm. I think we can use it as a tool that helps us, um, d- to get better on a day by day basis versus, um, you know, looking at it as a negative. Um, in Seth Godin's book, Purple Cow, he says, um, your business should be something that's remarkable. And he defines remarkable as something worth making a remark about. And mm. I think that goes both ways. I think something can go so bad that it's worth making a remark about and something can go so good that it's worth making a remark about. And so that's our focus with that. You know, when I, when I started this business 20, I'm going on 26 years ago, um, I didn't have a cell phone. I had no email account. We were still calling the bank to see if our credit cards went through each day when they batched after the batch was out and writing it down on a, on a legal pad. I mean, it was, it, you know, for people who are, you know, have a smartphone now, that seems archaic because you can even scan documents and use Excel spreadsheets on your phone. It's just really amazing the technology and how far it's come. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, 
adapting as we, you know, and using these tools for, for good, um, instead of looking at them as a, as a negative, I think is really the most important piece of them. You mentioned before about, um, you know, I mean, you've obviously done, you, you've worked in many different places over the sort of the past 15, 20 years or so. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned to me about a franchise you were working in that taught you about, you learned a lot about pricing. When um, Ruth Chris on their 50th anniversary rolled out uh, a menu they called the 2.0 menu, where they 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 changed some of the appetizers. Now the starring roles are still obviously prime grade steaks, you know the filet mignon, um, is, you know served on a plate, you know 500 degrees sizzling and butter, um, you know. And but what happened was is that um, when we were rolling out the new menu, we were looking at the, the, the where our pricings fit into the the tiers and. Um, and we found that we could, you know, once once we had gotten good enough, that the the question of whether we were s- serving, you know, you know, a steak on a plate that was served a la carte, you know, um, could the, the question of the value went down, and the score of for the value went up um, as our as we our reputation went up and as our service went up and as our team got better. How do you try to ensure that you stay ahead of everyone else? You know, it's not about everybody else. Um, it's about being the best we can be as a group, as an organization. Okay. Um, obviously, the metric we have is how are we compared to um, other restaurants on social media and how that happens, uh, you know, with like Yelp and, mm-hmm. you know, Facebook and, you know, even when Google Plus was around and, you know, or even back in the day, the old Michelin star piece, you know, you know, you know how that was the only thing in town you know, um, there, which is still a a big piece of what we do is, you know, in the restaurant world. But for us, what I focus on is not how we compete against the other person, but how can each individual and their station be the best they can be. And then also as a collective, Mm -hmm. how we can, as a team, be the best we can be. And as long as, if we're the best that we can be, then we'll be the best restaurant. And so does that mean actively, keeping a, a watch on the reviews that are posted about you on on sites such as uh, TripAdvisor. Absolutely. Just this morning, um, there was a review that came in that was a three-star, and, and it said, you know, I, I was I was on Open Table, and I have um, the Open Table uh, app on my phone, and I was looking at it, and I took screenshots, and mm-hmm. um, and I figured out who was – and I looked at our, um, our app that has our scheduling, and I looked at who – the scheduled hostess was and the server that was assigned to the table. It looks like the, the server um, was switched at some point and I didn't know why. And um, so, and, and the review was rather odd where it said that they had to wait 20 minutes while the host was still on the phone, which we don't typically have phone calls that last 20 minutes at the host stand. So I don't know what happened there. And they said they had to wait 15 minutes for the server to show up. So basically what I did is I, I took screenshots of this on my phone mm. Um, and then went into the message, the app, the messaging portion mm-hmm. of the scheduling app and sent it to the, the manager and the people who worked on, on that day and asked them, I said, this just seems kind of odd. It doesn't make sense to me. Can you help me understand, you know, what happened here? And so, yes, we, we do. We actually, one of the things mm-hmm. we do too is um, we put up what, we, what I call a scoreboard. Um, and so on the office door, we have um, by mm-hmm. each month, we'll write down what which platform? So we print out the logos for each platform that we're focusing on right now. It's Open Table and TripAdvisor, um, and we'll write down what our beginning average score is for the month, what our ending average score is at the end of the month, and then also every review score. So five, five, five. Hope they're all fives. Five, 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 four, three. You know, and then we'll give an average for the month. 
Um, and then we'll look at other things like um, intent to recommend score on mm-hmm. OpenTable because that's something that we think is important as well. And then so at the bottom of at the bottom of the uh, door we have right now is December. Then we have January, February, March. So we're we're putting the scoreboard up, and for the current month, we'll actually mm-hmm. post. Um, the, the actual reviews that were written and um, we do the bad ones and we do the good ones. Um, we'll highlight the good ones when people's names are mentioned. We'll give them, you know, um, we'll give them a recognition card that they can take to HR and get a prize um, for. Um, and, and so scores are a big thing. We're posting those, we're keeping up with those. Um, and we want our staff aware of, of what the scores are. And it's really funny because we had a we had a server when I first started here that um, tend to come across kind of um, short with the guests. And then once we started recognizing people for giving great reviews, um, that server's name started popping up as giving great service. So all we had to do was post the reviews, put it in front of them, make them aware mm-hmm. of them, and it started changing the nature of where people were getting recognized. They weren't getting recognized for their sales. They weren't getting recognized for how much they made in tips. They weren't getting recognized for not calling in sick. They were getting recognized for actually getting their name mentioned positively in a five-star review, and it changed, started changing the whole culture of the entire organization, and all we had to do mm-hmm. was tape it up on the wall. I mean, obviously, training is, is a big thing for you. What, the, the people that come to work for you, do you get remarks from them along the lines of, well, it, you know, this is what you do and the training you do is completely different to other places I've been working at? The, 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 the most recent quote was, Scott, we've never worked for anybody that actually took restaurants so seriously. Mm. <laughs> um, but yes, the, I, I do get, I do get um, a lot of this is very unique. Nobody's really cared as much about us as a, you know, as an organization. Um, you know, or express as much empathy, um, or has been this calm, didn't yell at us. So, um, y- yes, I, I, I get that. I get that a lot. I imagine that also then therefore makes it more enjoyable for them to, to work there as well. You know, that's the whole goal, right? Is to have fun. Um, it, you know, mm. we, the restaurant world, hospitality world, I mean, if you ever have looked at a front desk, you know, at that check in time, it, um, it, you know, three thirty, four o'clock at a, you know, it, it's, it can get intense because they've got sometimes have to check in, uh, you know, it depends on the size of the hotel, you know, smaller hotels is even more intense because people want late checkouts at resorts. Um, and then there, um, then that puts the crunch on housekeeping to get those rooms flipped and sometimes two to three hours before check before check in mm. at four o'clock. Um, so, um, those front desk people have, you know, intense jobs when it comes to check-ins um, and restaurant people have intense jobs because you have to really think about this is that we have raw materials coming in the back door sometimes that morning um, and we turn that into a product. Our sales team sells that. We deliver that product in 20 minutes or less um, and we try to do it on a very high level um, and we take the, and, and then we, mm. we, we get payment for that um, and our, our service staff is being judged to see in, in America, we, we, there's a tip based system. So, um, they're, they're getting, they're getting judged on every aspect of service to make their, to make money so they can pay their bills or even go on vacation or whatever they're going to do, uh, you know, with that. And so, um, and they have different things happen at different times. You have four or five table section 
and you have one table you're greeting, you got one you're giving dessert, you got one that's on entrees and needs to be cleared, another one wants a, another bottle of wine. So you're having to balance all those things at one time. And so it's a very high stress situation. And, and so the last thing that a leader needs to do in that type of environment is create more stress. You need to be the calming piece of that and mm. help them in any way you can. And if there's something turned sideways, to be the one to help them fix it. You mentioned that social media has really sort of changed the industry over the last you know, five, 10 years. How, how do you see things changing in the next five, 10 years? I think the in- intensity in which people intensity in which people go out to eat and expect a high level dish, you know, meaning that they want to see on their table in front of them, a lot of people, what they see on chef's table on, on Netflix, right? And they're going, and, and they're, the expectations are mm-hmm. rising. The other thing that's happening too, is that this is one of the big things I've seen happen over the last two years is that um, the speed in which what's mm-hmm. hitting the, the trends that are on social media in terms of food and then is hitting the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Typically, our broadline suppliers are slow to react to those trends, and you can't get those food items. Um, mm-hmm. You can't get those into the restaurant fast enough, typically. And I'm seeing that I'm seeing that change where um, mm-hmm. in the vegetarian vegan world, there's this new um, burger our new product called the impossible burger. Um, and it's something that just barely is just emerging, um, you know, and, but it's really big in, in the vegan world. And, and what happens is we have it on our menu here, but I just saw on LinkedIn this morning that Red Robin is going to have that in like every restaurant that they have. Um, and, and so here's a vegan option is make it into, mm. I think it's like 400 locations in relatively quickly to where someone who, like me, who's cared about their health for a while, I can go into a grocery store, health food store, Whole Foods, and then I try to get a product for my to put on a menu that I like and I think is a better product. And then being told by my sales rep, be going, well, you know, retail and wholesale are different, you know, in supply chains, and we can't get that. And so I think that's one of the things that's going to speed up because our customers are putting pressure mm-hmm. on us. Therefore, we're putting pressure on our suppliers to get these items that are in the grocery store and prepare them in a way that they would like them um, in a restaurant. Do you think people generally are more health conscious these days? And is that being reflected in what they ask for when they come to your restaurants? This in pockets really depends on the city and the or the you know where you're at um, or what type of restaurant you're in. Um, I think mm. we've seen a big in, increase, huge increase in gluten-free. Um, there's a lot more people mm. who are gluten intolerant here in the States uh, than there have been in the years past. That was something that never, ever came up in my first probably 15 years um, working in the industry. I never even knew what gluten-free was. And then um, and now it's like something that happens where it's, it needs to be listed on the menu so people can make choices. And you're, you have to train your staff on what that means. You, you have to, you know, the chefs obviously have to know what that means. Um, and so there's other things that happen. You know, now you've got people who are ketogenic, which is low carb, high fat, moderate protein, you've got paleo. Um, and so I, I think that what the definition of healthy is is very broad. But um, there are mm. there there are um, it is growing in 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 a, in a way for sure. I'm going to be respectful of your time. So before we finish, what are your thoughts on exceeding expectations and over delivering? There's no other way. It, it, there's no mm. other way. If if we do not exceed expectations, 
um, we have failed. Um, that should be one of your top goals. So I start with why. I try to bend our staff's reality a little bit and try to explain to them that money is the result of what we do. It's not why we're here. Why we are here is to deliver the best dining experience in a chef-driven restaurant that's located in a historic hotel. And if we make all mm-hmm. our decisions based off why we're here, like if somebody asked me, well, you know, it's kind of slow. Can I go home? I'm like, well, well, let's think about mm-hmm. this for a second. It's spring break. Um, we got, we did, you know, last night we had 45 walk-ins um, and it, it may appear it's going to be slow, but if you went home, would that help us as a team deliver the best dining experience to the people who walked in that we don't know that's coming yet? And so they would kind of look at me and go, well, you're right. Mm. Okay. Or if they really were self-centered, they would say, well, still, can I go home? Cause I don't really care. Right. So then you got to bend the reality a little bit more say, no, actually you can't go home. I really think I need you. And then monitor their attitude from that point forward. Um, and in that, in that time, but if your focus is delivering the best experience, whatever your business is, whether it's best hotel stay, um, best dining experience at a taco stand on the street corner, best dining experience in a chef-driven restaurant, um, or, you know, I don't know if you sell costumes and balloons, you sh- the focus should be on exceeding expectations. Um, so that guest will actually have an experience, and I'm going back to the purple cow, that's remarkable enough to make a positive review on um, whether it's to their friend or their family or online. Scott, if people want to find out more about you and about Cascades and, and, and everything that you're involved in, where, where should they go? Well, the, the Cascades, you can find out more information about that at the stanleyhotel.com. You know, and you can find me on LinkedIn um, at Scott R. Stanfield. Um, and, and then I have, you know, then you can find me in other places uh, there. But, um, but yeah, that's... Um, that's where you can find me. Fantastic. Well, all of that will be included in the show notes. I really appreciate your time, Scott. It's been a pleasure That's speaking. Been my with pleasure. You. Thanks for having me, Tony. Next week, episode 35 is with Jessica Schwartz. She's a, a book author and writer, and she tells us a lot about, about the book world and some of the experiences she's had and how she's been able to help people. Hope you've enjoyed this week's episode as normal. Please do leave a review, um, get involved in the Facebook group, maybe post some questions, and I look forward to seeing you next week. Have a great week.